you would take out your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have taken a break from 1 Corinthians to revisit the mission of our church, but we are back to that. And we're going to be looking from verse 25 on. We got through verse 24 last time we were together. And we'll see how far we can get tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtaineth mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man that so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and all they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Stop right there. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for saving us and giving us your word as our guide. Help us to obey it and to do what it says and to always be learning from it. We ask your blessing now upon this time as we consider the verses before us. May your Holy Spirit illuminate them to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, Paul is writing here, continuing on the subject of Married and unmarried men and women in the church. I want to give this to you in two parts um, over two sermons. We'll do it tonight and then next, the next time we're together in Corinthians, I'll try to finish out these verses through the end of this chapter. But I want to give it to you like this. What is Paul saying here? Just, just, let's just go through these verses and understand the interpretation of what he is saying. And then I want to give you some principles that we learn from what he is teaching us here that are applicable in today's world, in today's church. In fact, why don't I start there? And if you're a note taker, I'll give you these now. And I'll give them to you um, at the end of the sermon as well. But this will give you something to kind of go through um, or think about as we go through these verses. So what does Paul say? And then secondly, what do we learn about marriage? And so Paul gives us these points on marriage expectations for a Christian. From verse number 25, the first one we find is that Christians are to be sexually pure entering marriage. This is a simple principle in the Bible. We understand some terms from Scripture. One is adultery. Adultery would be sexual sin by married people. And then we had fornication, which is any sexual sin by unmarried people. These are very uh, straightforward, simple terms that are taught throughout Scripture. They're always sin. They're never not sin. There's no way to twist or turn it or make it any way you want it to be. It just is or it is not. There's other areas where you can kind of get into some gray matter and decide, well, maybe this is not sin or maybe it isn't or whatever. But these two things, Jesus called them sin. Paul called them sin. Moses called them sin. They're sin. All right. Now, in verse 25, Paul taught very clearly here now concerning virgins. So he's clear here that he expects these people that he's going to be instructed about marriage to be sexually pure. So the first principle we have, Christians are to be sexually pure entering marriage. The second principle Paul teaches us here from verse 25 is that Christians should seek wisdom on marriage from other faithful Christians. Paul's going to say here, as one that have obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful, I'm going to give you my judgment. He says that in verse number 25. 
So it's a great principle for us to learn. Christians should seek wisdom on marriage from other faithful Christians. The third thing we learn is in verse 26. Christian marriage carries a great level of responsibility by all parties involved. Now, those of you who are married, you know that. Uh, Those of you looking to be married, this is a great thing for you to learn early on, is that the Bible teaches us that Christian marriage carries a great deal of responsibility by all parties involved. We'll get more into verse number 26 here in a moment and explain that to you. Verse 27 teaches us the fourth principle. Christians can both be married and remain single. Now, one person can't do both of those things. But you can be a Christian in good standing with the Lord to be married. You can be a Christian in good standing with the Lord to be single. And either of those are okay. Neither of those are sinful in and of themselves. Also from verse 27, we learn the fifth principle. Married Christians should not seek a divorce. He says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? Don't seek to be loosed. Married Christians should not seek a divorce. Number six, married Christians are to care for and please one another. Verse 33 and 34. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. The difference also between a wife and a virgin, the unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So verse 33 talks about the husband being pleasing to his wife. Verse 34, the wife being pleased to her husband. So a principle we learn from Paul's teaching here from verse 33 and 34 is that married Christians are to care for and please one another. A seventh thing we learn from this passage, verse number 39, Christian marriage is intended to last for a lifetime. 39 says the wife is bound by law as long as her husband liveth. So the biblical understanding of the length of time that you are to be married is is all of your life that you are married. Then for verse number 39, we also learn an eighth principle from this passage. Christians are to marry other Christians. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married whom she will only in the Lord. So these are just straightforward, simple principles, helpful principles. But believe it or not, were I to give this talk, in a community setting tonight, rather than in a church setting, I'd get some crossed eyes, I'd get some funny looks, and people would say, boy, that's a real narrow point of view about marriage. Well, it is. And it's a biblical view about marriage. We'll revisit those um, in, in a moment, but let's get back now and just dig into this text. Beginning in verse number 25, let's look at what is Paul writing here. And I won't get us through all of this. I'll get us through about half of these verses and the next time we'll get through the other half. But there seems to be some controversy in the Corinthian church over whether engaged couples should go ahead and marry. And Paul is addressing this here as he says, now concerning and the word virgin there, it can be misleading in our context and in our use. He's just talking about the unmarried and then they're looking to be married. These are the groups that he's talking about here. Uh, some, some versions will even say the betrothed. So now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Now Paul admits here in verse 25 that Jesus never taught a direct answer to the question, should we marry, should we not marry? We're engaged, should we go ahead and get married given whatever's going on here? Now he will talk about in verse 26 that something is going on here, this present distress 
And you can really do some wonderful reading on dealing with the timing of this letter, what was going on in the world in this letter, what was about to be going on in their world in this letter, the persecuted church, the destruction of Jerusalem, a lot of things that were happening in and around this letter. And Paul is writing to him here, and he will go on to say in a moment, the time is short. We've got to be eternally focused. We can't let these temporal things keep us from doing what the Lord would have us do because time is short. So he's adamant about that. So they have this controversy, this question in the church. If you remember from verse number one of chapter seven, he says, now concerning the things, where have you wrote unto me? So they wrote to him and they ask him some questions and he's answering directly about these questions. And in this answer of this portion of it, he says, Jesus never actually taught us directly an answer here. He says, I have no commandment of the Lord. He seems to understand why they would ask this, given whatever the situation was there and then. He has no problem that they ask the question. He doesn't rebuke them. He gives them a soft and gracious answer here. He says, for the present distress. And he's writing to answer their questions in this particular instance. What is his instruction here? His instruction is, I'm not writing you a biblical commandment but I'm giving you wise counsel. He says, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that have obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. So he says, this is, this is a proverb. I'm giving you some wise counsel. I'm, I'm faithful of the Lord. He's letting me write scripture. I'm going to give you some wisdom here, but this is not me telling you, this is what Jesus taught when he was living on the earth. Now, some have taken Paul's wording there, verse 25, then declared to declare this extra biblical or to declare this not Holy Spirit inspired. Well, if this is not Holy Spirit inspired, what else is not Holy Spirit inspired? So that gets very problematic if you want to start going down that trail. And we have verse 40. Go to verse 40. Paul sort of clears up those theories. He says, And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So he said, she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. That's how he started this section. In verse number 25, I give my judgment as one that obtained the mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And he ends this section by saying, after my judgment, and I think that I have the Spirit of God. So he covers both things there. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul is giving his judgment on these matters. So this is not extra biblical. This is not outside of the canon This is Holy Spirit inspired wisdom from the Apostle Paul on marriage and singleness given a particular situation. Now, is this the all-inclusive text that we must go to on all things marriage? Well, of course not. There's, There's other portions of Scripture that deal with our marital relationships, that deal with singleness, and all of the rest. But these these are some of those. And as we study through this, we want to consider them. So he begins. Addressing those with that context. No commandment of the Lord, but I'm going to give you my faithful judgment. He addresses first those who have never married in verses 25 through 28. Now, concerning virgins. The Greek word there is parthenos. P-A-R-T-H-E-O-S. But it's pronounced just a little bit different than that. And it, it directly means an unmarried person. The Greek word just means an unmarried person. Now, it would have carried the connotation in their culture of someone sexually inexperienced who had never married. Okay? But it would have been a little bit more given in their culture than it is in our culture. Right? It's not always a given anymore in our culture. I think people lie about the color of the dress they wear at their weddings often. 
You get what I'm saying here? This is, this is not a given in our culture anymore. But in their culture, it was for sure a given. So we would take the English word to mean something totally different than what they might have taken that Greek word to mean there within this context. It did mean what we take the English word to mean, but it carried a further meaning than we want to make it often these, t- these days. So this is an unmarried person. They'd never been married. They'd never had intimate relations with someone of the opposite sex. We, we've made it one and not the all, all other in our modern culture. But biblically, these two are intertwined. And I would say to you, church, these two should still be intertwined in the mind of the church. They should be one and the same. Now, Paul's wisdom is to these people, the ones who've never been married. He says it's good for a man so to be. Verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Calvin paraphrases here, and I like his paraphrase. He says, I think it expedient on account of the necessity with which the saints are always harassed in this life, that all should enjoy the liberty and advantage of celibacy as this would be of advantage to them. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. And as we think of this, we must think of what all Paul faced in life. He faced jail. He faced beatings. He faced persecution. All of this while heartily trying to do the work of the gospel, the ministry that the Lord had given him to here. So his point is sound in this regard. Concerning those who are unmarried, given the present distress that we or the church are in, it's okay. I think it's good for a man to remain Unmarried. Chuck Twindall said, Paul knew that those with spouses and children would find themselves tempted to deny the faith or at least compromise their testimonies in order to protect their families. So he gives this advice then. The unmarried will experience less distress and personal difficulty in a hostile world. So this is what Paul is teaching here. They've written this question from the Corinthian church. They've asked, what should we do? Should Given the present distress that he's addressing here, we're we're engaged to be married. Should we go ahead and get married or should we remain like you, Paul? And Paul's answer initially to these who are unmarried is it would be good for you to remain unmarried. Now, given that wisdom, verse 27, he follows this up with those of you who are married, you shouldn't try to separate or divorce to follow the same wisdom. You see how this kind of gets a little bit sticky, doesn't it? So he just said to the unmarried, given the present distress in the world, your work for the Lord will be that much more dynamic and your life will be easier if you don't get married. Well, if, you're unma- if you are married and you're, you're zealous too, all right, well, that's it. I'm cutting off the dead weight. Goodbye, wife. And away we go. And Paul says here, verse 27, are you bound into a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. Married Christians must never be so thoughtful toward singleness that they despise or seek to be free from their marriage. Just Paul's clarifying thought in verse 27. Because outside of this particular context, we know throughout all the rest of Scripture that the Bible is very friendly toward marriage. And the Bible teaches that there's a necessity to marriage. In the same thought, Paul gives advice for those who are unmarried. Are you loosed? The Greek word is leo. 
Are you untied? Are you released? This could be those who've been widowed. This could be those who were biblically divorced. It could be those previously engaged who decided to break off their engagement and not get married. Paul's instruction for this situation to these folks is, it is okay if you do not seek marriage. Just think about it. A lot of the other scriptures are just the opposite. Be fruitful, multiply. The man that's found a wife, found a good thing. This is what a good wife looks like according to the scriptures. I mean, there's a whole lot of Bible that has to do with people who are married and what that should, the family should be and the home should be. Well, there, here's some people who are in a certain situation and they're saying to themselves, it might be better if we were like, Paul, he's not married. Let's write and ask him about this. Would it be okay if we don't get married too? And he, he gives some instruction. All while laying that out beside of the biblical view of marriage being necessary. That's verse 28. This is still a biblical route. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. So Paul is saying here, this is a godly option. Even though it, brings, it will bring about temporal and fleshly issues, it is a godly option. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And all the men in the church say, Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13.4, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So we see that put up against two things. One is not sinful, one is sinful. One is holy, one is unholy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This isn't a passage about marriage. It's a a passage about false prophets and those practicing false religion. But note what Paul says to Timothy to instruct the church in this regard. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, the Holy Spirit, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, if I preached you that passage tonight, up just up through those verses, and said, I believe we're living in the latter days, what would you say? Amen. That sounds about right. Okay, well, what else does it say then about the latter days and the descriptors of those people in the latter days? Verse 3, so verse 2, they speak lies and hypocrisy. They have their conscience seared with a hard iron. They're given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is the group of people we're dealing with. Verse 3, what else do they do? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath received with thanksgiving for them which believe and know the truth. So what is a characteristic of the carnal man, the pagan man in the last days? Well, they give themselves to the doctrines of devils. They they, they worship Satan instead of worshiping God. They have their conscience seared because God, Romans chapter 1, has given them over to this lifestyle they decided they wanted. What else? They attack biblical marriage. They forbid marriage. And what else goes along right in with that? A commanding to abstain from meat. Now, if you've chosen in here that you don't want to eat meat, follow me, that's more bacon for me. That's your decision. You, you are free in the Lord. To not eat meat. I'm not against you for that. Here's the biblical problem with that. Well, for sure, if that becomes an idol for you, then that's a biblical problem, right? If you think you're making yourself holier by not eating meat, then you're Peter on Cornelius' housetop. And God rebuked, God directly rebuked Peter 
for not eating pig. He, he just said, don't you call dirty what I've made clean. Rise, kill, and eat. God's direct command to the Apostle Peter, right? But if we make this an idol, I'm not going to eat meat that's going to make me holier. Well, then you're entering in some pharisaical waters, legalistic. Now, you may go to the doctor and your doctor says, hey, look, you've reached that age where bacon and pulled pork and barbecue ribs, they're going to make you die sooner than you otherwise would. They're going to clog your arteries. They're going to put some chemicals into your heart that won't make it pump right. You need to watch out for these things. If you say, I'm just going to have chicken and fish, well, praise the Lord. You know, whatever you got to do. That's not the instruction here. The instruction here, there are these people against God in Paul's day. And he said, this is a sign of the latter times. And they were forbidding people to eat meat and they were attacking biblical marriage. Does that sound familiar to you in today's world? What is the world doing? What is America doing? They're attacking biblical marriage. And half the world are vegans and vegetarians and whatever else they want to be. It's a unique thing that we have happening in today's world. Well, it was happening then. There, there's nothing new. Point being, up against our text tonight, is that marriage is biblical. Marriage is holy. Marriage is a, a command by God. It's an institution by God. So nothing Paul is saying here in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians is undermining that. This is to those who would say, Given the situation that I'm in, maybe God's calling me to singleness and should I approach singleness? And with his instruction on that, he's also including, but for those of you who God wants you to be married, it's still, it's still good for you to be married. So go back to 1 Corinthians 7. As we think through verse number 28, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. If a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. MacArthur says here, marriage can involve conflicts, demands, difficulties, and adjustments that singleness does not because it presses two fallen people into intimate life that leads to inevitable trouble. Right? This is the case. MacArthur is right. On the other hand, the troubles of singleness may be exceeded by the conflicts of marriage. Look back at verse number nine. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. He means it with your passions here, right? We dealt with that before. So the idea is there's some issues with singleness. There's some issues with marriage. We're carnal Christians. There's some issues with, with planning discipleship groups. There's issues with lots of things because we are not perfect yet. So Paul is not saying here, you could be a pretty good Christian as a married person, but you could be a great Christian if you're single like me, Paul. Maybe God start letting you write some of the Bible too. This is not what he is saying. He is clear. There will be less baggage, temporal baggage in your life. You won't have a, a wife or a husband. You may not have children. You won't have all of this to, 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 to work with. So if, if I've come through town and say, hey, I'm headed to Rome. You want to go with me? You can on a whim just up and go. We understand the, the logistics of singleness and the blessing that it is there. And then whatever that means for uh, what's happening in this present distress, Paul talks about in verse number 26. But then you miss the blessings of marriage and there's still going to be some troubles with singleness. On the flip side, there's some troubles with marriage, though there are some blessings and you miss the blessings of the singleness. And then that's the, the balance Paul's trying to lay out here. So first, 
He gives some instruction to the unmarried, with some to the married, and then he begins to address motive. So from verse 29 down through verse number 35, he's addressing the motive. His motive for the wisdom he's sharing, the motive of those marrying, and then the motive of those who are remaining single. Verse 29, 30, and 31, his point is simply that we should be motivated in that time is short. Notice what he says. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Time is short. We must be living in such a way that there's an urgency to this. Is it Ephesians that says, redeeming the time because the days are evil? This is the idea. R.C. Sproul wrote here, the Christian life must be lived in the realization that this present age will pass away at Christ's return when the age to come will be brought into consummation. Since Christians must always be ready for the coming of the Lord, there is no time to waste as this age is already in the process of passing away. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 speaks to this. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Is that true for you? Is now your salvation nearer than when you first believed? Certainly it is. If you've lived one moment since you were saved, then now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. With that logic, verse 12 then says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of life, light. How are we to be living? We're to be dying to our old self. We're to be living unto Christ every single day with this urgency of the time is short. How does this work in our relationships with marriage or singleness? Well, whether we marry or remain single, we must be sure our choices in life do not reduce our devotion to the Lord or our service to him. God called me to, started when I was 13, calling me to preach. I surrendered to preach at 15. I, very soon after that, got really interested in girls. Wanted a wife. And one of the things that I had in the back of my mind all the while was I knew I wanted to preach. I wanted to be in ministry. I had observed my parents in ministry. And I was aware of the fact that it would be very, very much a blessing to have a wife who is similarly ministry-minded, and it could very, very much be a burden to have a wife who was not similarly ministry-minded. To make this in the light illustration, Scotty's a Bama fan, Penny's an Auburn fan. It, I have to counsel them weekly or during college football season because of this. No, not really. <laughs> but so it is with our service to Christ. Whether you marry or remain single, you can't let it reduce your devotion to the Lord or your service to Him. We are to be living, seeking to invest our time in eternal matters. I'll quote Swindoll again. He says, those with their time and energy wrapped up in family, leisure, and possessions tend to get drawn into the concerns of this world and can easily lose sight of spiritual priorities. Believers may be engaged in but not enslaved to marriage, Mourning, merrymaking, marketing, and material things. That's what Paul says here. Verse 29, the time is short. 
They who have wives need to live like they don't have one. They that weep like they don't weep. They that rejoice like they don't rejoice. They that buy like they have no possessions. They that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passes away. We can be engaged in these things, but we can't be controlled by these things. We can be engaged in these things because they're a part of life. and We have to live this life. In fact, if we ostracize ourselves from actually living this life, that also hurts the urgency of what we're to be doing for Christ, given that the time is short. But while we're living these things, we grieve with those who grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope beyond this grave. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we understand that this is a carnal world that's going to get destroyed, and someday we'll really rejoice. We feast with those who feast, but we know that someday we're going to feast and it won't be gluttony and we won't get sick from eating all that food that Jesus is going to give us. And on and on and on we go. So Paul says here, all of the activities in verse 29, 30, 31 are legitimate. All of these activities are honorable, but they are oriented away from the eternal and they're oriented toward the temporal. Paul was concerned that believers not invest themselves too much in these matters. Don't get too deep into these things. So for this reason, he balanced each category of activity by encouraging an eternal perspective. Christians should live as though they have no wives, no mourning, no happiness, no permanent possessions, and no preoccupations. And then be careful with at least the no wives part of that one. What do we mean by that? Well, my wife understands clearly because we've done this since 2002. I had to think there for a minute. But ministry comes first. Now, when little Jack was born, that changed things a little bit because now there's a mouth to feed and there's a, young, there's a baby boy at home that's going to become a young man who needs his dad. So does Jack come first or does ministry come first? What we've learned in this is we don't have to divide the two. If the Lord has me doing some ministry, he gave me my wife as a helper to do this ministry. We do it together. And if the Lord has me doing ministry, he gave me my wife to be a help in this ministry and we're to do it together. And then a baby is born. Well, then we bring the baby along. And it's wonderful how in times of life that's appropriate. There are times of life where that's not appropriate. But God enables us all to do the different kind of ministry that needs to be done given the time of life that we're in. There was a time of life where Sinead couldn't play the piano or sing on stage because she, there were four babies. There were diapers to change and bottles to feed and all of these types of things. There was a time of life where Sinead was a missionary to the nursery. Praise the Lord. <laughs> We'd go to church and she'd go to the nursery and I'd go to the worship and I'd come out and I'd be pumped up come out and she'd be like, well, how was it? How did it go in there? I, w- I wasn't aware, you know. Now we're in a different time of life. We're in a time of life where we're raising, we don't have nursery age children, but we're raising the school age children that we have. There's some things that some of you can do because you don't have school age children in your home that we couldn't dare do. There's some influences. We not, can't let them around. We can't expose them to certain ministry things, but some of you can do this in a wonderful way. And there's portions of this that we miss because we used to do it when we were younger and didn't have children. And while we love our children and we're enjoying the time we have with them, we look forward to the day that while we'll miss our children being in the home, we'll be able to do some ministry that we used to do that we can't do anymore. 
It's amazing how God times these things out for us. And then I think in Paul's teaching here, we're also learning. God has called some of us to be married in this ebb and flow of things. But he's also going to call some of us to remain single. And then that's going to lead to its own form of the blessings that I'm telling you about. But I'm not a single man, so I can't share that with you directly. But Paul does here. He says, I wish you were all like me in that regard. So, all right, that's the first half of this. We'll finish the second half next time we're together. So let me, real quickly, I'll give you the eight principles. Number one, Christians are to be sexually pure entering marriage, verse 25. Number two, Christians should seek wisdom on marriage from other faithful Christians. And I think that's at all times. I think pre-marriage you should do that. I think early on in marriage you should do that. I think late in marriage you should do that. You're always aging into a time in your marriage that you've not been into before, so you don't know about it. So why not seek wisdom from some? And what did Paul tell Timothy to teach the church to do? You who are older, instruct those who are younger. So Christians should seek wisdom on marriage from other faithful Christians. That's also verse 25. Verse 26 is the third principle. Christian marriage carries a great level of responsibility by all parties involved. For sure that's the case. Verse 27, fourth principle. Christians can be both married or single. Fifth principle, married Christians should not seek divorce. That's verse 27. The sixth principle, married Christians are to care for and please one another. Verse 33 and 34. The seventh principle, Christian marriage is intended to last a lifetime. Verse 39. The eighth principle, Christians are to marry other Christians. Verse 39. MacArthur gives us six reasons here that Paul lists for not marrying. Doesn't fall in line with what I was preaching to you tonight, but it is from this passage and I liked it, so I thought I would share it with you here. Six reasons Paul lists for not marrying. Number one, pressure from the system. 25 through 27. Number two, problems of the flesh. Verse 28. Number three, passing of the world. 29 through 31. Number four, preoccupations of marriage, 32 through 35. Number five, promises from fathers, 36 through 38. And number six, the permanency of marriage, 39 and 40. I imagine MacArthur's wife was mad at him when he got home from preaching that sermon with those six problems from marriage. So not my sermon. I'm just sharing what MacArthur said, but I had my own points there. All right, let's stand and we'll be dismissed.